Gracious God, we come to you as people who know sadness. We come to you as people who know hurt. We know shame. We know falling short. But we also come to you with the expectation that there is but more life with you. We pray through your living word you might raise us from the dead parts, in the dead parts of us. You might bring us new life and breathe your Holy Spirit into us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you'll remember if you've been here the past few weeks that we've been walking our way through the last few chapters in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. This church, which Paul helped establish, has erupted into conflict and turmoil for a variety of reasons. There's sexual immorality over spiritual gifts. They fought over classism as well. But wait, there's more. This week, we find out that members that there are members of the community who flat out deny the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus being the idea that Jesus was executed, but then three days later was raised by God from death. And we're not sure in which way they're denying it. We just know that they are. So in response... Paul then does what any good, zealous Christian might do. He starts to marshal and pile up the evidence. He starts to gather the proof and offers it to his hearers. He rehearses the same message he preached when he got to Corinth. He says that Christ died for our sins, he says, in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and raised again according to the scriptures. He's talking, of course, about the Old Testament, not uh, the New Testament. The Old Testament hadn't been formed quite yet. And then he goes on through a list of Jesus' sightings, you could say. First, Jesus appeared to Peter, one of his apostles. Then he appeared again to the whole group of 12 apostles. And then apparently he appeared to a crowd of 500 some of whom are still alive, says Paul. Then his brother James, and then to all the other apostles, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And then Paul inserts his own Jesus sighting into the list. Last of all, he says, last of all, as to someone untimely born, he appeared also to me. If you're familiar with Paul, you'll know his story. According to the book of Acts, Paul was traveling to the city of Damascus in Syria. And on that road, he was hit by this flash of light that knocked him off his feet. A vice voice spoke, and according to Paul, it was the voice of Jesus. And this was Paul's conversion moment. The moment he became a follower, he became a disciple of Jesus. So he says, add my name to the list of witnesses, one after the other. 
So in response to this denial of the resurrection, Paul sort of lines up all his evidence. There have been so many Jesus sightings after he's died, he says, that you'd be crazy not to believe it. It's all proof enough, according to Paul. But the interesting thing about this text is that it's not where Paul leaves it. He doesn't leave it at the evidence. He doesn't leave it at the Jesus sightings. You see, the thing is that if Paul was going to rely on him seeing Jesus, it wouldn't lend him a lot of street cred. Because Paul's not much of a reliable witness to begin with. He's something of a spiritual ex-con, you could say. For I am the least of the apostles, he says. I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Sure, Paul says, he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, but he was on his way to Damascus to rifle through the local synagogues for Christians. Paul used to be named Saul, and Paul was a Pharisee, a member of one of the rival Jewish sects. Paul was a zealot who wanted to help quash the church, approving of the killing of Stephen, one of Jesus' followers, by stoning. Paul has blood on his hands. He went from house to house, dragging men and women off to prison, shouting all sorts of murderous threats along the way, and when he met Jesus in Damascus, on the road to Damascus, he was heading to Damascus to just do more of that stuff. He wanted to drag more men and women off to prison. Of course, now he's changed his mind, right? We all change our minds. But think of it like this. Do you give the reformed cat burglar the combo for the safe? Do you put the ex-Nazi in charge of the battalion? Or do you let the former Taliban general into the war room? Paul may have done a complete 180, changed every opinion, every opinion. Should we be nice to him? Of course. Should we give him some kudos? Yeah. But a guy like him just can't be trusted based on his past history. Risen Jesus or not, he's not exactly a reliable witness, and he knows it. But the interesting thing for Paul is that it's not about the reliability of his resurrection report. For Paul, it's about what the resurrection did to him how it changed him. He says, I'm the least of the apostles, unfit to be called one, etc., etc., etc. But then he says this, but by the grace of God, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me has not been in vain. On the contrary, he says, I worked harder than any of them, them being the other better, more reliable witnesses. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
So what's happening here is that Paul's not really using the fact that he encountered Jesus on the road as proof of the resurrection. The evidence he uses is the fact that his encounter with the risen Christ flipped his world upside down and transformed everything for him. His evidence for the resurrection is the fact that he's gone from bloodthirsty zealot, persecutor of innocent people, and murder accomplice to servant of the homeless rabbi from Nazareth. And then, of course, to the hardest working apostle in show business, or the religious business, I guess. Paul sees the resurrection as crucial, not because it's data or it's evidence or just some sort of historical fact in the past that happened long ago. Paul's own life is evidence of the resurrection. His encounter on the road in a flash of light made him a completely new person, all by the grace of God. The biblical scholar Paul Sampley simply, Sampley simply, Sampley simply, Sampley puts it simply like this. No previous action of Paul's, of Paul's merited God's favor. But God's grace, according to Paul, is sufficient to transform even such a person as Paul, who directly opposes God's purpose. Because it happened to someone so lost, someone so angry, and so broken, and because it happened to him, Paul says, it can happen to anyone else. His change is the evidence for the resurrection. Eyewitness sightings are one thing. I mean, lots of people see Jesus in a piece of toast, right? But Paul's most powerful evidence for the resurrection is his own resurrection. The main point of the resurrection isn't just that the resurrection happened, but it's that the resurrection happens. The resurrection happens. Now, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus died and was raised. There are plenty of scholars who make that case too. There are plenty of books out there. I'm not entirely sure how it happened or what exactly happened. For me, it's less textbook citation and more a deep mystery. But I do believe whatever the Easter story is getting at happened. It wasn't made up. It wasn't a mass hallucination or a subjective illusion. It happened in some mysterious way. But we can be so focused on rallying our eyewitness testimonies, gathering historical evidence, and trying to prove it as a fact that we miss the point entirely. It's a very modern way of thinking that something's only true if it could make it into a history or a science textbook. But when we leave the resurrection as a past event, we miss its power. It's not just that the resurrection happened, it's that resurrection happens again and again, and again. And speaking of resurrection stories, I'm reminded of an interview 
in Christianity Today that ran last month. Maybe we could get the next slide, please. Slide it on over. There we go. Just a little bit of a warning first. This is, it's a pretty heartbreaking story, at least to begin with, so be forewarned. A woman named Linda Barkman, as the story goes, was sentenced with, to second-degree murder in 1979 after her boyfriend murdered her two-year-old daughter. She knew he was abusive. She knew he was an addict. She knew he was violent, too. So thanks to a state law where she lived, she was held responsible for knowingly endangering her child and was sentenced to prison for 30 years. There's the US justice system for you. This topped off a string of abusive relationships and her own drug abuse. And like Paul, at this terrible moment, she was confronted with everything wrong in her life. I wanted to die, she said. I wanted to die, and God said this. No, you're not allowed to die. I was so angry at God. I remember screaming out to him. You say you can make a new creation out of me, so you have to turn me into someone I can live with. I don't know what part is good and what part is not. All I know is everybody who ever loved me or had been loved by me is now hurt, and I just don't know what to do. After that, she says, God started showing me that he could use me if I would let him, if I would stop fighting. It took a long time. I began to see Jesus and his love and mercy in the day-by-day -day things. Not long after I went to prison, I started helping with church services in the psychiatric unit. For 28 of the 30 years I was incarcerated, so she actually didn't get paroled, I was the lay pastor for that prison unit. Barkman's out of prison now, and while she has an amazing ministry to prisoners and a new and loving husband, it's not like everything is fixed and go back to normal. It just simply can't. Life doesn't work like that. But like Paul, she's come to know how God's grace works powerfully, even those who have known tremendous suffering and tremendous guilt. I struggle, she continues. I'm in therapy, I have PTSD. I don't know if I can believe in redemption for myself. But David was a murderer, and Saul, also known as Paul, consented to Stephen's stoning. And Joseph spent a lot of time in prison. These are all biblical characters, of course. God, she says, is a special place for prisoners and can use us because of our brokenness. We know that knowing Christ in prison makes us freer than many people walking the streets who don't know him. 
So I pray for the strength to know that every moment that he allows me to minister in prison is an opportunity to love those who he loves. So like Paul, Barkman came to see her own life as part of the resurrection story. That even at the depth of her own pain and despair, her own shame and guilt, that God could take a good Friday and tear an Easter right out of it. Her own resurrection is the clearest evidence for Christ's resurrection and an example of its ongoing power. We can probably go to the next slide. It's the same slide, but it's the next slide. And that's the promise for us as much as it is for Linda and for Paul. That the same power that knocked Paul off his feet in a blast of light and molded him into a self-giving disciple of Jesus, that same power that's taken Linda Barkman's life, shattered by grief and shame, and given life and hope behind bars, it means that same power is promised to each of us. Not just to make us good people or make us nicer, but the power of the risen Christ to raise us from the dead. No matter how deep the hole we've dug for ourselves, no matter how bottomless the pit that life has thrown us into or how wide the chasm is between us and God and other people. Not just sometime in the past, not one day in the future, but here and now. Because resurrection not only happened, resurrection happens. And when we begin to believe that, it's a source of hope and courage. We can see our own lives in guilt and shame as places of mercy and forgiveness. We can see dead ends, whether of our own making or the making of others, jammed with hidden windows waiting for the sunrise to burst in. And we can see other people, other who pe people who might as well be dead, not as helpless write-offs, but as unfinished resurrection stories, just waiting to tell of the incredible goodness of God and the staggering depths of the love of the risen Christ. Because resurrection didn't just happen, resurrection happens. So may we, like Paul, like Linda, like countless others, even people seated here today, hold firmly to this message, lest we come to believe in vain. Resurrection not only happened, it happens. Thank God for that. Amen.